The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to The Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lunn, and... Me, Rob Davis. We have an incredible episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking about chapters 21, 22, 23, and 24 of Summer Night, as well as... <laughs> as well as whether uh, we would want to have Dresden's wizard site. Wizard. Um, absolutely uh, brilliant episode. Um, and I'm super excited for these chapters because we're going to get into some stuff that I've been looking forward to talking about since the very first episode of this podcast. Um, so that's a, that's a little something to whet your appetite for later. But first, uh, over in our paranetworking section, um, paranetworking, of course, is where we kind of delve into uh, our own uh, kind of social groups, as well as uh, the general wider Dresden social groups and the general goings on of the Dresden fandom. Obviously, things are a little bit quieter now after the release of uh, both Peace Talks and Battlegrounds. So uh, we're doing a little bit more of uh, deep dives, deep cuts going into the back catalogue. Um, and today we are talking about uh, Wizard Sight, Wizard Sight, uh, which is uh, essentially... Um, Rob, how would, how would you describe Wizard Sight? Um, opening of the third eye, I guess. Um, Yeah, I've just realised I was confusing it, it with the soul gaze. Um, crap, I don't know how to describe it now. So it's kind of like um, another way, and it's another sense almost of perception where you see things as they truly are. Um, so, you, so you can't be like fooled or deceived by like illusions, uh, and you can see stuff like spirits. Um, and uh, some of like the emotional resonance, I guess, of objects. So, like if something's being used for violence, sometimes you can see that it's a, a violent or a dark object, things like that. Uh, but the big catch with it is that no matter what uh, you see while you have your wizard sight open, it stays with you forever, and you can recall it as though you have just seen it. Um, so as a, as an absolute crystal clear memory, um, which is um, a great literary device. Uh, I'm just going to throw that one out there straight away. Um, at, for, from Jim Butcher, it is uh, a great way to tell us why Dresden can remember so much uh, in such good detail. Um and it's a great way to do kind of flashbacks, that sort of things. It's like, oh yeah, he had a wizard site open, so he remembers it all in crystal clear quality, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, uh, what we wanted to to really talk about today, and and we we put this question out to our fans on uh, Twitter and Facebook, um, is would you want to have wizard site, which is to say to be able to see the true nature of people, things, objects. Um, I think they, I think you can even perceive 
some like auras and stuff through walls and things like that so mm-hmm. uh you can see when people are coming and stuff like that um at the cost of having to remember those moments in crystal clear quality um rob what's what's your answer on this i i don't think i'd want it because <laughs> i feel like the first time i would activate wizard sight i would look at something really horrible and then <laughs> see it like I know you, the first thing you'll see is the guy who lives around the corner and who's murdered like countless people but hasn't been caught yet. Yeah, I've also that sticks... mentioned that I've been watching a lot of crime documentaries lately, which is why I jumped straight to that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I suppose I'd worry about things like if you looked at like something you were about to eat or something like that and then you saw like how it was killed or something that would be yeah pretty uh pretty tough i mean would it um in in the context of this question is it is the wizard site on all the time or is it like how in the book where it's like you, you can choose to have it on yeah, yeah you can choose to to turn it on and off yeah, I, in that case, I, I will change my answer. I will have it, but I will use it sparingly. <laughs> <laughs> I Like, just to look into your oven and see if your, your latest pie is cooked. Pretty much, yeah. Perfection. Pra- practical uses, you know? I Man, if I could just, like, close my eyes and imagine, like, a perfectly uh, cooked uh, steak and ale pie, I'd be happy. That's a cool. That's a cool thing. <laughs> um, something I I really enjoy um is mundane powers, uh like mundane superpowers like that. Mm. Um, like in I, I was reading an X Men comic book recently. Um, it was the X Men like tying to the last year's big summer comic book event, Empire. Um. And there was someone who had the ability to smell like spiders. Interesting. Uh, which is just a, a fantastically mundane power. Um, and I seem to remember reading something a while back, which was like a mutant that could talk to bicycles, but only bicycles. <laughs> um, and someone was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, what what do they have to say and stuff? And she was like, most of them are extremely boring. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, things like that, definitely, yeah. Uh, I feel like Heroes, the the TV series from like the uh the noughties was um was pretty good for that. There was some interesting powers going on there. Uh, yeah, there was, um, what was that show? It was on E4. I want to say Misfits. Misfits, yeah. Right. Like the like the guy who was a werewolf, but only like mentally, so yeah. he just got the mentality of a dog, um, but didn't change in human form at all. There, there was another one. Um, I think it was the end of series two, where there's there's a guy who can like control milk, and then like yes, everyone's like got cooler powers than him. They just start ripping into him. And it turns out he can control like the dairy in people's bodies, so he causes um I think he just causes loads of people to like drown on like dairy or like have blood clots and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I remember it just surprisingly getting very dark for such a useless power. 
Well, I mean, the thing is that when you get into, like, mastery of an element of some sort, even if it's something obscure like dairy, <laughs> if it's something that's kind of, like, ever-present, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen, like... I used to have a book called The Science of X-Men that was, like, breaking down, like, okay, how would these powers actually work? And when you really get into, like, what Storm and Magneto can do and people like that, it's like they could just rip the world in two with, en- with like, enough power. Hmm. Um, it's crazy. Like, if you can mess around with magnetism, then, like, you can mess around with, like, electrons and atoms and stuff, and it's just like, oh, my God, crazy <laughs> stuff. Um, we've gone so far off course, though. Uh... <laughs> that's, that's our thing. That's our niche. Exactly. Yes. Um, so bringing it back, bringing it more back on course. Um, I think uh, Wizard Sight uh, would be really cool, um, and I think I would take it. Yes. But I also think it would probably become uh, a burden to me um, because I am someone who obsesses over very small details and would probably end up wizard sight recording just about everything I could so I could then replay it and analyze it mm. over and over again um, to like like conversations I've had um or like my responses to things to to analyze like people's reactions and be like oh, okay was that the point that that person like had a difference or opinion to me or did they lie to me or something like that um i feel like there was a black mirror episode that did this from like a technological an- angle yeah um i think it's called the entire history of you yes yeah I think I would end up using it like that. That's a dangerous place to be in. Yeah. Um, I would just be too tempted. <laughs> I think. Um, yeah. Uh, seriously recommend that episode of Black Mirror, by the way. I, I seem to remember a while back hearing that Robert Downey Jr. had bought the rights to that episode to turn yeah, to a film. That, that was quite a while ago, I think. Um, I don't think yeah. anything's come of it yet. But, eh. Yeah, I mean, um, I yeah, the writing on that is superb. It's very well done. Um, I really, really enjoy enjoy that episode. Um, from a oh my god, this is terrifying, and I can a hundred percent see myself doing this sort of angle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So we actually had a couple of responses as well uh, across our social media on other people's thoughts. Um so what did what did other people have to say, Rob? Um Gene Tomlin on Twitter said, definitely. I mean beyond its obvious uses, you could specifically find beautiful sights to remember forever. Um plus imagine being able to see ahead of time the quality of human you're you're starting to befriend or date. Either through soul ga- either through soul gazing or the sight. That's very true. It would be very interesting to like meet someone and immediately know you're a shit person and I should not be spending time on you. It's like extreme <laughs> Tinder. It it is just extreme Tinder, yeah. Shit, you could um, hire out you'd be like sort of Harry Dresden but lose the detective angle. 
and be like a matchmaker? You could, yeah. You could be like, these two people are both extremely shitty. They'd ruin another couple. Let's put them together. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know. In, in some ways, I think like some shitty people that I have known or people that have acted shitty, like sometimes they just need a, someone to give them a bit of a chance. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I in my own personal life, it has massively backfired being friends with shitty people. So I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah, can't can't argue with that. Sadly. Yeah. Um. Was there was there more to that? Sorry. Oh no no. Okay. Uh. And and the other um. The we, other we had one, another comment, didn't we? Yeah. The other one is uh Michael Tobacco who apologise if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um. I think I would. Um, there are definitely ups and downs used with extreme prejudice. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the thing. It, it, there's there's a great power, great responsibility thing kind of going on here, or, or, or kind of a self-restraint thing. Um, I mean, one of the things that I keep thinking about is if you were in a relationship and use your wizard sight a lot with that significant other, and then you broke up... Mm it would just be killer. Like, yeah. Um, like, forgetting and, and like, the the healing of time is such a, a good part of the human psyche in some ways for our mental well-being. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, dealing with grief as well. If you could remember someone perfectly. And, and of course, like, you would, if someone was close to passing away you might think that this is your last chance to use your wizard sight on them to remember them like alive and then you'd have that memory of them in their last moments forever i i don't know if that's that's tough it's a tricky Um, one certainly it is at the same time i like there's people that I've lost that I wish I had better memories of, or, or like I, I could remember more clearly. So I don't know. It's yeah, it's very interesting. Do you have any more thoughts on it? Not really. Um, no. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, but by all means, like if um. I'm really curious on what people think about this. Um, I think it's really, it is really, really interesting. Um, I love these sort of questions, uh, as I'm sure you can probably tell listening to me uh, wax poetic around it. Um, so uh, please email or uh, comment message on Twitter, or on Facebook, uh, and let let us know what, what you think um, and where you come down on this, or even comment on Podbean, if that's if that's where you listen to us, um, yeah, let, let us know know what you think about all this. Um, I'd be really interested to see if anyone's got any like really out there takes on it or or like interesting like applications of it. Yeah. I guess. Cool. Okay. Uh, so that that's pretty much our power networking this week. There's not really much going on in the world of Dresden right now. It's a little bit of a quiet time. 
Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people are quite quiet at the moment for the obvious reasons of, of kind of pandemic and uh, and it's post-Christmas and, and all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty in our future for us to talk, talk more about. And we'll have more audience questions. And if you want to take part, uh, the best way to do that is to get on our, our Facebook and Twitter and look out for for when we post questions and uh we'll give you give you shout outs as we go um awesome yeah so uh moving uh on uh over to our dresden files book club uh dresden files book club of course uh we go over this every week it's um our mine and rob's uh journey through all Dresden literature, games, board games, RPGs, comic books, um, anything else, short stories, novellas, um, and the main novels themselves, the Dresden Files, in chronological order. Uh, we are currently on book four, Summer Night! Summer Night! Um, which is awesome. And uh, we are, we're, we're cracking on, cracking on well. Um we always uh each episode go over uh a kind of summary of our last um couple of chapters and then discuss the new chapters and then have a little like book club lit talk talking about uh anything cool from like a nerdy perspective anything cool from like a dresden fast perspective and any good kind of literature uh analysis i guess that we can pull out uh, although that sounds very kind of neckbeardy and fedorary, but um, in that in that sort of vein, I suppose. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that 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 about covers it. So last time on the Dresden Files. Uh, so last time uh, we had some pretty uh, pretty crazy chapters. Uh, Harry had found Elaine, uh, his ex, in the back of his uh, Blue Beetle and uh, telling him not to take her to hospital. Uh, instead, uh, he takes her um, under her directions to the Rothschild Hotel, where Aurora, the summer lady, resides. Uh, when they arrive, an elevator door opens. A girl recognizes Elaine and Harry being a winter, but still helps Elaine. Harry refuses to leave Elaine until he knows that she's safe. The elevator door, uh, the elevator goes up and opens onto a roof which looks like a tropical forest in Borneo, with Harry also noticing a throne made of wood, branches, forestry, and all of that. Here, Dresden meets Corrick, the centaur, and a blacksmith, who looks ready to fight Harry, recognising him as working for winter and having the blood of the summer emissary on his hands. The situation is cooled down by Telos, a Sidri lord of the summer court. We find out a few more details about Lily. Uh, while she is of winter, she is liked in summer and occasionally models for them. It's noted that Mab usually cho chooses people to work for her who are more cold and cruel. Harry realises that the young woman he's talking to is the summer lady, Aurora. Aurora reveals that Harry was designed to be cruel and to kill, stating his fairy godmother, is the most vicious member of the Winter Court. Harry is dangerous. Aurora agrees to heal Elaine and she uses her touch to release a lot of Harry's pain and pent up emotions, notably his guilt over Susan. 
He is urged to give up the task for Winter, but he refuses. Before he leaves, Aurora informs him that the loss of the Summer Night, uh, that with the loss of the Summer Night, Summer prepares to go f- to war at midsummer, attacking while at the height of their strength. Chapter 18. Dresden calls Murphy and arranges to meet somewhere in public. A Walmart store, the pair meet up. Harry opens up to her about everything. Resistance from Winter and the Council. Obvious resistance from enemies. Murph tries to help him make sense of things. And Harry opens up that of all the people he can trust, she's the most important. And that's why he's kept her away until now, to keep her safe. He admits he needs help and she'll get involved eventually. Store lights go out at once and the emergency lights show a mist entering the Walmart they are in. Trouble is coming. Over to chapter 19. A civilian walks into the mist and becomes docile. Harry mentions the mist messes with memory. He and Murph attempt to leave the store. Memory pulls. Murph pulls the fire alarm in hopes it, it will help to get people free, but it doesn't. Murphy and Harry get ready to fight. Murph draws her gun. Harry puts them in a magic circle to protect them from the mist while they figure it out. Harry also proceeds to put an enchantment on Murphy to prevent the mists from messing with her head. She realises she's never actually seen him do any full-on wizard magic. It's always kind of been very like smoke and mirrors, stuff he can pass off as um, just kind of uh, spiritualism, I guess, in the past. Mm. Breaking the circle, they let the mist th- uh, flow over them. The enchantment appears to be holding up. While traversing the fog, they're jumped by Tigress, the ghoul that attempted to assassinate Dresden at the beginning of the book. Tigress goes ghoul mode towards Murphy, who starts to panic, remembering the nightmare from Grave Peril. Grave Peril. The ghoul starts mocking her, which angers Murphy into shooting her multiple times. Harry gets back on his feet, just in time to notice that the Tigress isn't alone. Our old pal Grum the Ogre joins the fight, throwing pots and swinging a shovel. Harry, knowing magic is useless, uses the environment to his advantage and lures Grum away from Murphy. Murphy shouts that out that someone is covering the exits with a rifle. Harry has to fight off a ten-foot-tall plant monster, which he dubs the Chlorophyne. It's it's a it's a wild one. Uh, over in chapter twenty, Harry shouts out to Murphy to get clear, while the chlorophene gives him a shakedown and throws him around. Luckily, he has his trusty shield bracelet. The creature screeches as he gets cut as it gets cut on steel, allowing Harry to identify it as a fairy. Harry escapes down an aisle of steel and iron. He uses a spell to create a windstorm, causing the shells of steel to fall upon the chlorophene, slowing it down, hopefully for long enough. Harry and Murph reunite and continue to figure a way out. Harry gives her the rundown on Grum being immune to magic. Harry states that he has a plan. And that brings us to this time on Summon... Summon Night! <laughs> almost caught you out. Summon Night! It, it almost did. <laughs> Summon Night! Can be tricksy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Rob. Yeah, so chapter 21, Harry and Murphy storm the gates, you could say. To fight Grum the Ogre. Storm the game. <laughs> um, Murphy like rocks. I think I'm pretty sure it's this bit. Like just just before this happens, I remember she runs towards Grum and just falls over. And like <laughs> I can't remember if it's meant to be like a serious kind of moment or comedic or not. But the way that it's like narrated in the audiobook just cracked me up so much. Yeah, 
Like, it's like, oh, Murphy, like, ran towards him screaming, and then at the last moment, she fell over. <laughs> but, um, yeah, in, in any case, like, it's all, you could probably say it's a ruse, because she rocks up and kicks the shit out of Grum, and when I say kick, I mean she uses a chainsaw, which, you know, are notable for kicking, um, and the thing with chainsaws is, you may recall that their blades are like iron and all that kind of stuff, which if creatures from the Fey world don't particularly like. So Grum's having a bit of a bad time now, and while this is going on, like Dresden pours gasoline on him, and he's like, "Oh, you, your fire magic does bugger all on me, mate. So do your worst." And Dresden's like, "Oh." Magical fire, yeah, but what about normal fire? And just sets him alight. And, I mean, it's not the end of Grum, but it's the end of the fight, because Grum's then like, you know, I'm on fire, it's not a good time. I'll be back for you with my revenge. <laughs> um, It's just like, he dives behind, he, he like dives into a bin and disappears, which I just love. Yeah. As well. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, Dresden tries to help Murphy escape, but she's been... I can't remember if she's, she's been shot in the leg, hasn't she? Yeah. I I have to apologise, because after I read this, I went and straight away into reading something else, which was quite similar, where someone accidentally stabbed their leg. So I've now kind of got the two merged into, into like one kind of thing. But in any case, she's been she's been wounded in, in like the leg, so she's she's a bit... You know, not as mobile as she should be. Um, and there's still the you know sniper who's waiting outside with a rifle covering all exits. So she she hands Dresden like her Colt and is and he's like I'm I'm gonna go to the beagle, the beagle, the beetle, um, which you know sadly sprung another leak as it does because what do you expect? Old reliable. Nothing's ever easy for Dresden. No, he's having a right. Dresden of a time with it. He really is. <laughs> um, in any case, he, he drives to Murphy and, like, you know, gets ready to pick her up. But then our other good old friend, the Chlorophene, reemerges. And the Chlorophene, as you can expect, is, is not happy. Because why would it be? And Harry, in, you know, being sensible at it, just decides to, you know, put his foot down on the gas and drive straight into it giving it a good old mm -hmm. ram. Um, and in doing that, they managed to escape from the Chlorophene anyway. Um, and yeah, he he picks up Murphy, and they're attacked once again by the Chlorophene, because it just can't give them a break, you know? Um, and luckily, she still has the uh, chainsaw, which she then uses to take it down. And I think there's a comment in there where it's it's mentioned that it's not strictly a fey but it's like a construct uh i think that comes a little bit later ah uh, fair enough i just remember it being a throwaway line but i couldn't remember if it was there or not so ignore mm. pretend i didn't say anything um yeah and in any case after all this madness um harry and murphy both decide it's time to hightail it out of here before the police arrive because you know trouble's brewing the police are going to be there and they can hear the police in the distance. Welcome to Chicago. Um, yeah. Chapter 22. Harry and Murphy think, 
you know, a good place to regroup is Billy and George's, where the, which is, you know, they're two of the alphas. That's where the alphas hang out and play their like role playing games and stuff. Um, and it's it's classic Dresden at this point. I feel this is kind of what happens at this point throughout quite a few of the books, especially when Butters is introduced as well, where someone gets wounded and they're kind of like treating the injury and someone is always like, oh, maybe you should go to hospital instead. And they're like, no time. Don't have time for that. They'll ask too many questions. Um, and that is exactly what happens here because they, they give Murphy a hand and they do the best they can about you know her injuries. And yeah, you're just getting all the comments of like, oh, you should probably go to hospital. And she's like, no, I don't have time for that. Um, in any case, Harry goes to catch some air, which, you know, is probably a good shout. An air and a beer would be Michael, but he doesn't have a beer. Although I think he does have a Coke, if I remember right. Um, I, if I'm, yeah, there's a great bit where he's like, um, just before I headed back out, I, I took another Coke with me. I knew I'd need it. And it's just like, oh, Jim, you and your Cokes. Yeah, I think this book for the next maybe four or five books is like the prime Coke phase. Yeah. Like it's, it's peak Coke. Cause I think it happened earlier in this book when he was, when he had Elaine at the apartment, there was a point where he's like, Oh yeah, I went, went to the fridge to grab a Coke. Um, yeah. Yeah. In any case, he goes onto the balcony for air. And this is when one of the changelings, Merrill, who you may remember as the big, like fighter, Brutey one barbarian, I guess. Um, and she rocks up and approaches Harry, and they have a big old discussion here about not only his reputation, but what it's like to be a changeling. And there's some interesting points here, which I imagine we'll discuss later on. Like the whole kind mm-hmm. of thing of like she she sometimes wonders that it's easier just maybe accept like the face side of things and just roll with that, but. She, she doesn't want it to define her um and all that kind of stuff which is fair enough you know um yeah harry starts putting like various bits of information together and he's he's wondering why the tigress attacked him like before at the start of the book you know prior to him even bothering with the case um and yeah and it's also at this point where he realizes that the chlorophene wasn't using its full power against murphy which means that it must have been controlled by one of the fairy ladies or the queens. And there was a rule, I think it was mentioned earlier in this book as well, but it's reiterated here, which is that like the fae can't attack um, anyone who isn't part of the corpse. So, I mean, that's actually, yeah, I think that's mentioned when Lloyd Slate appears, because that's the purpose of the winter night and the summer night, yeah. is that they're kind of dealing with that mortal aspect. Um. Yeah, and at this point, the, you know, the weather's getting colder, and the seasons be a changing, um, and like the cold and hot weather, it's all kind of gathering together as a nice little storm over Chicago, you could say, and mm-hmm. we roll into chapter twenty-three, and Harry heads down to Lake Michigan, and he's in two minds about this because the last time he met her, things went a bit you know, mental, and he proceeds to summon his fairy godmother, Lianchi, and she rocks up, and they, they get talking about their last meeting, and she's doing this whole thing of, like, um, 
oh, you know, I was I was only doing it to protect you. And he's like, but you, you, you tried to have me killed and turned into one of your dogs. He's like, yeah, but you would have been safe. And like, all the, all this other stuff, like, I oh, I hit my head really hard, and it's like, oh, I, did, I healed you, didn't I? Oh yeah, but then you erased my girlfriend's memory, but not permanently. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's quite it's quite cool. Like, I it's interesting because I do remember Lianchi appearing in this book, but I didn't remember this meeting, which I think is the appearance that I was trying to remember. Um, mm. but she explains as well that um. Yeah, how much she cares for Harry and all that kind of stuff in her own way, I guess. And she also explains why she gave his debt to Mab. Um, yeah, there's like a, a power balance upset. Yeah, uh, because whatever the vampires gave to her in the last book gave her too much power alongside with her having Harry in her debt. Yeah, and I I think that's picked up later on as well, like a few more books down. Yes. Um. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, Harry offers a trade for an audience with each of the fairy queens, and the Lianchi's like, "You don't, you, should, you know, don't need it, mate. You're on, yeah." Um, in any case, she then takes him to a, a stone table, which I again I can't remember if this is mentioned because I know Harry acknowledges it. He says that um, Ebenezer told him about it. And I can't remember if that's something that Ebenezer told us as well in this book, or if it was like a previous off-screen appearance. But in any case... I, um, think it, I think it's off-screen. Yeah, that's kind of what I assumed, because I was like, I'm sure I would have remembered that. But in any yeah. case, they go to a stone table, the stone table, I should say, which is a recreation, recre- recreation of Chicago made from clouds that holds a stone table in the centre. Um and the idea of it is that anyone can be sacrificed upon this table and it gives power to each half of the court of some shit like that. Um, kind of explained with the whole change of seasons thing, like they mentioned in, I think the previous, we mentioned, sorry, in the previous episode about Midsummer, and there's that kind of uh, transfer of power between uh, summer and winter. Um, with Midsummer coming in three days, the idea is that something would be sacrificed on this table, which then transfers this power over, vice versa, as we go on, etc., etc. Um, and Harry looks at the, like, looks at this with his sight, and sees that the power, like, all of the power that they're amassing, and it kind of like knocks him to one side, like proper like bitch slaps him across the room kind of thing, um, and he awakes on the shores of Lake Michigan again with lightly and man like we, we meet the we meet the uh no we're I'm thinking of the queens we meet we do meet the uh mother winter and mother summer don't we in this i didn't just imagine that and not this yes we do that. cool because i remember it happening but again I'm, I'm now getting to that point where like i'm mixing up books um yeah yeah and we roll into 24 and the blue beetle is totally like wrecked because he keeps driving it into chlorophenes and whatnot um, all this other stuff, and Harry has to get it towed, which is always a fun one. Um, in any case, he just he he chooses at this point to check in with the White Council because shit's going down, and it's going down pretty soon, and he might need a bit more backup than the Alphas, which you know at the end of the day are still kids. So yeah, yeah, but I mean, like 
the, it's it's a, always an interesting one, and it, it comes up in a lot of different like sorts of media and stuff, like where you've got like naturally powerful people versus like trained soldiers um are always like training will always outdo natural power yeah um, um yeah sorry that, that's right we'll come back to that in a moment um yeah he calls up the white council and he's like asks to get in touch with ebenezer to explain the situation to him and hopefully get some help and morgan being morgan intercepts the call and is like you'll receive no help from the white council um you know someone he we cared about died on the attack in archangel so you can you know shove up your ass and he doesn't let harry get a word in here and it's like dude shut the fuck up um and it, it's a bit of a heated argument which ends with harry just kind of doing the whole like thing from snatched where they start slamming the phone down on the receiver and then like, yeah. gets so frustrated with that he just ends up throwing it against the wall as well, just for good measure. Um, um it made me seriously think of um, I, I, well, we've talked about how much we love Peep Show. Uh, when when Mark is caught uh on like camera drinking uh, a beer, and Alan Johnson thinks that he's uh, an alcoholic, uh, <laughs> and he's just like, "Pour me, Pour that's all I'm hearing from you, Mark." Drink. Pour me another drink, and just will not let him get like a single word in edgeways. It just comes across the exact same way here. Yeah. Like, no, I've got a perfectly reasonable explanation for everything. It's just, just one pint. It's sake. just one pint. It's just one pint now, Mark. But what about later? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It's exactly that. He's trying to explain. <laughs> just, just explain the situation. And Morgan's like, no. The situation isn't difficult. You're not wiggling your way out of this one. Sort it out and hangs up. Um, anyway, after Harry calms down and has destroyed his phone, he then showers, gets everything together before heading to an airport. Um, he's following a tracking spell which leads him to Elaine, who is kind of getting ready to skip town. Um, and Harry, it's quite a cool this bit because he works out that like Elaine was in the blue beetle um you know when she was all bloodied and shit because she stole like she previously stole a tire cap from the blue beetle as a kind of way of tracking mm. harry later on but it tracked him to the car which he wasn't at, at the time blah 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 and as a response he when he worked this out he then took another tire cap and then used that to track the other one which i think is pretty cool it's quite detective-y you know yeah i, I like this sort of thing because um we don't get it later in the series as much where it's all like, I don't know. Yeah. Like street wizardry. Yeah. Oh, bear with me just a moment. Just turning on the light. That's fair. Um, it's getting dark. It's, um, yeah. And yeah, like they, they have a bit of a, again, have a bit of a chat. And Harry tells Lane that he intends to visit the mothers of uh, winter and summer. And Elaine's like, you're you're mental. Like, I'm not. No, that that's crazy. But he manages to talk her around because both of them are the emissaries of summer and winter. So it's probably a good thing that she at least tries, you know. So she agrees to join him. And after a lovely buffet breakfast, which you just can't get at the moment, 
thanks COVID. Um, yeah, Elaine does this really cool thing and summons like a horse and carriage that rocks up, and the way it's described is perfect. And the fact that like it's got some like charm on it, so no one like p- people of the public just don't notice it at all. Um, yeah. And yeah, they they hop in this thing and they, you know, it takes them to the mothers of winter and summer, and that is where we wrap up these chapters. Yeah, exactly. Um, man, such good chapters. Um, seriously, seriously enjoyed this uh, whole. Uh, pretty much all of these because they, 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 there's quite a, a range of what we get here. The the finale at the um at the Walmart um is a lot of fun. Um I love Murphy with the chainsaw is just a a beautiful, like sweet and salty combination. Um it's just incredible. Hmm. Uh then the whole stuff with Leah is very like high magic and um I I remember when I when I first read these this is like the first time that it feels really high fantasy agreed um when when they go to like Chicago but it's made out of clouds and there's fairy queens and there's a great stone table that's got this magical power and um it's like oh we we're, we're full on out of this urban environment now um which is is pretty crazy um and, and i absolutely love that uh all the stuff with uh billy and georgia and the alphas it's just typical dresden stuff really fun um i've got some bits i want to pull out there but we'll we'll get there um and then yeah the uh the the, the catching up with elaine and preparing to go to the mothers um is a lot of fun. There's a great like comment that Lane makes about because Harry's got his blasting rod and his staff, and she's like, uh, "So you, so you're still sticking with the like uh, phallic replacements or something?" <laughs> um, which is just such like a yeah, vengeful. Well, not vengeful, but just like X kind of line. Just that like, puts Harry in his place a bit. Uh, so yeah, there's there's lots of great stuff. How did you find it, Rob? I really enjoy these chapters, and I think I think this and the next couple of chapters that we have in the next episode will be the kind of the leaning into that third and final act where it all just goes absolutely mental. Um, yeah, and this is that kind of like calm before the storm. But I really liked, like you say, the meeting with Lianchi and the whole thing in the clouds with the stone table as well. Um, and this is a question I have about the stone table, actually. Uh, does that appear again in later books? Because I can't... I'm not sure if I'm confusing it with something else at the moment. It does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are, you, are you thinking about the place where Harry and Mab meet? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, That it, it's the same place. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fans of the entire uh, fans who've read the whole series will know what, what I mean by meat. Um, but yeah, um, 
Yes, the stone table appears a few times actually. Um, it's also where we see uh, it, it. It's like a place that we see Lloyd Slate as well at one point, mm. um, which is is very interesting. Um, but yeah, I love how it's described as like this this battlefield. Like it really made me think of like war gaming or something, where you'd have this like model battlefield set up except the queens of fairy do it with clouds instead of with like weird scenery bought from games workshop uh <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah like and it's very cool as well to do um so i think the way it's described it's, it's like chicago but um before people it's like an, it's like the natural land of chicago um, which is is a cool way to keep like something I I think I like about Justin Files all the way through is that um, Jim finds new ways to dive into like the history of Chicago and to give us new perspectives on it. And looking at it as a place without people is a really good way to to give us a new perspective on Chicago that I really enjoy. Um, yeah. Um, so, was there was there another anything else you want to say there, Rob? Um, I mean I do, but this is more to do with um Elaine, and with her being such a big part of this book. I mean, I, I, I don't to my memory she doesn't appear again. She's mentioned because she starts up the whole paranet thing with Harry, but it I don't know it just it just. I just find it weird that having such a prominent role in this story, she's not really used in the same way again. She, so she does come back for one book. Um, I can't remember which one, uh, when it is, but it's the one where Thomas looks like he might be the murderer for a while. I think I know what uh, I mean. She, because she starts protecting people from vampires. Yeah. Um, but she's never really a a primary character, um, and we'll we'll get back to this uh, much further down the road. But yeah. um, there's a couple of, of points in the series where I feel like Jim thought about using her and then decided not to. Um, particularly the character of Hannah Asher yeah. in uh, Game. Um, I always thought that that would have had more impact if it was Elaine. Agreed. Um, but I I also can understand if Jim's got a, a more long term game or had or wants to do like a spin off or something, why he might not want to use Elaine for that. Um, I think Elaine would be a really interesting character to have a spin off story about. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So. We've uh, we've got a couple of talking points. Uh, we've we've pretty much talked about Harry and Murphy's escape. Um, it's yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I think I I there is just something that is just so perfect about using gardening equipment to take down like a, a plant monster. That just it, it makes me smile every time that I think about it. Like pulling out the the chainsaw and the weed whackers and stuff to take down this chlorophene 
Um, and then, yeah, I, I like as well that Murphy is noticeably nervous of the police arriving. Like, she she knows it's going to be very problematic for her if they turn up. Um, yeah, especially... I think this is a recurring thing for her as well, where it's... She promised she wouldn't get SI directly involved, so it's kind of... This ends up this is kind of um, an extracurricular activity, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's that's how, that's one way to put it. Because um, well, she's she's kind of falling into like vigilantism, isn't she? Which mm. uh, is a, a no no for, for police people. Um, but yeah, I like how like it almost it kind of snaps her out. Like she's like. Uh, very much injured and is kind of out of it, and then is suddenly like hears the police sirens and is like, "No, we need to get out of here. We need to move. We need to go now." Like it shows the power that uh, her life in the police has on her, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, which I found really interesting. And it just it's just a little window into Murph and and her kind of psychology as well. Um. And it's and it's kind of cool as well to see like all the uh, um, all the magical community as soon as they hear police sirens are like we need to get the hell out of here as well. Yeah. Um, the alphas uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, really great. Um, just to kind of see them all kind of coming back together. Um, Harry talks a bit about like how they've all suddenly got buff. Which yeah, I think is very fun. I think that's my favourite thing with each of their appearances is how I think when they appeared in Full Moon, Billy, for example, was described as being like a dorky little like teenager. Yeah. And whereas here he's kind of more broad, muscular kind of type. And then it just kind of carries on from there to the point where he's like I don't know, ripped to shit. In my head he is now Dave Batista. Um, yeah. in the series, <laughs> uh, sort of level, yeah. Um, but I, I definitely that's something I really enjoy. Uh, is like hearing, like just hearing the alphas like progressively getting more of their shit together. Um, the other thing that he talks about is how they've all become a bit more battle scarred. Um, which I like. Um, like again, it's just it's all like checking in with them, seeing their kind of advancement. Um, that's a lot of fun. Mm. Um, the uh, it's also like Billy is very focused on like why can't people see what's going on, like um, and and Harry's basic explanation is they they just don't want to. There's a whole conversation that they have around like what about the the mist that made people go all a bit like zombified or whatever, like um. Aren't, aren't people going to like realize that something's happened there? And then Harry's like, "Nah, they'll just say like it's a it's a gas leak or something." And Billy's like, "Well, but then there won't be any like evidence of that. There won't be any evidence of like there being a, a drop in gas pressure or anything like that." And Harry's like, "Do you really think that the, for instance, the utility companies want to admit that their system didn't pick it up or something?" 
someone is more likely to get fired than for them to expose this conspiracy or what's actually going on. Hmm. Uh, and and it's just like a really interesting window into like, okay, how does this how does this world work in practice? Um, that I think uh, Jim does very well here. Um, so that's cool. Then uh, moving on into um, the scene with Meryl, um, there's just a great quote, and we haven't done a quote for a little while on uh, uh, from the book that I just wanted to pull out, which is um, Meryl starts talking to Harry about his reputation yeah. in the magical world because um, she's obviously done some digging into him um, to kind of find out if he's trustworthy or not. Uh, and uh, he asks, well, well, what's my reputation? And uh, this is what she says. It depends on who's talking. The Seely crowd thinks that you're an interesting mortal pet of Mabs. The vampire wannabe crowd thinks you're some kind of psychotic vigilante with a penchant for vengeance and mayhem, sort of a one-man Spanish Inquisition. Most of the magical crowd thinks that you're distant, dangerous, but smart and honourable. Crooks think you're a hitman for the outfit or maybe from one of the families back east. Straits think you're a fraud trying to build people out of hard-won cash, especially Larry Fowler, who probably wants you on the show again. Uh, I regarded her frowning. And what do you think? I think you need a haircut. She lifted a can <laughs> to her mouth and I caught her with a beer. <laughs> Which I just, I think that, that that's such a great like exploration of um, like what makes Dresden so interesting and like he the way he's acted like he's so many different things to so many different people mm. um, and it like it's crazy to see that like some people fear him some people love him some people think he's he's just a complete fraud um, I really enjoyed that same so, uh, moving forward from there, um, Leah and Harry uh, checking in with each other. Uh, I thought this was a really good bit um, of just kind of catching up between two characters and going into a bit more of an explanation of why Leah did what she did um, I, in the last book. I love that she thinks that she can justify everything is just like i was only trying to do what was best for you kind of thing yeah uh it it reminds me a lot of like uh loki in the marvel films um like it's very manipulative um it's like oh it's not my fault you couldn't see the what i was doing i was only doing the the, the best for all of you kind of thing um I think what I liked about her appearance in this book is with Grey Peril, she is more like secondary antagonist, I guess. Yeah. Like she feels like a villain. She comes across as a villain in her actions, whereas this book and I think future ones as well, she's it, it's not the case. She's like, I mean, the best comparison I can think of is... um. Spike and Buffy the Vampire Slayer where like he's one of the antagonists of season 2 but then like season 4 onwards he's just kind of anti-hero that helps the party every now and then yeah definitely um, 
And, and always with a bit of snark. Yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is is also very fun. Um, yeah, I think Leah slowly becomes more of an ally. Um, and and also slowly kind of fades into the background cast more and more. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, that's not so much happening here, but we'll, we'll see it happen in later books where Leah just becomes... As bigger powers get involved, she just becomes a bit of a small player, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I think, I think that, that their relationship here is really good. And I love the way that she, um, she doesn't pull punches with Harry, not necessarily out of like a cruel, like a cruelty. It's almost like, I need you to get these points that I'm trying to like convey to you. And part of that is you learning in a way that will like stay with you. It, it, it's the sort of thing of like, like you kind of sometimes want to let people like let children and stuff get a little bit hurt. So they don't do something even stupider and get a lot hurt. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So sense. like when Harry like opens his sight up and looks at the Queens of fairy and gets like smacked in the face basically by their power. That's very much a part of that. <laughs> I think. Um because Leah's very much like, and now you'll never forget that. <laughs> Which yeah. It's a it's good way to underline a point. Learned. It's one of those type of characters. Yeah. Like it's it's a difference between someone that yeah. Did you ever watch um, Smallville? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a particular scene I remember where Lex Luthor has a sword fight, like, fencing, like, competition with his dad. And his dad beats him and is like, the lesson of this is never trust your friends, or something stupid like that. Mm. And it, it happened quite a lot where oh, something would happen and it, it his dad wouldn't help him or something like that and he's like and the lesson here is Lex is that you should put your faith in absolutely no one but yourself and it's kind of in not strictly like that but in the in, in that kind of line where it's kind of like do it make a mistake but you've learned something from doing that yeah exactly it's like Someone can tell you that fire's hot, but until you feel it for yourself and you get burnt once, you you never really internalize it the same way. Yeah. Uh, and Lex's father's doing the same, and, and Leah's doing the same with Harry. Um, I I suppose it's a it's a it's a harsher sort of mentorship, but it is. I can understand why it's it's also a powerful sort of mentorship. I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, interesting, anyway. And I, There's not much more to really say about the stone table at this point. Um, it gets brought up a few more times. Um, it's a cool mechanic that, like, 
it passes between Winter and Summer, who has ownership of it, yeah. and who gains power when something's sacrificed there. And that um that is that kind of becomes a an important thing a few times. Um and, and there's always a thing around timing to do with midsummer and midwinter. Um that's worth bearing in mind for future book plots as well. Uh, if if it's ever brought up that they're coming up to the solstice, um, that's probably got something to do with fairies. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I yeah. I mean, uh, there's not much more to say there. Um, although I did enjoy Leah talking about her new blade. What did you think of this? I liked that because I couldn't remember that bit at all. I remember. I mean, obviously, I remembered. Uh, Grey Pearl her being presented with an item and I know there's consequences later on for her Yeah, but I, I like from memory I don't remember that being mentioned here so I found that me neither and interesting yeah what really got me about it was there's a point where Harry says what is it and she says something along the lines of like, "My dear godson, that's the wrong question. The right one is, who is it?" Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's very interesting. Um, I mean, we've got to be in the realm of outsiders here. I think. I reckon, yeah. Yeah, uh, and and I don't think that we've fully. I don't think it's fully got into that yet in the series, like no, what, what I, that is. I mean, yeah, I won't, I won't say anything else because it's kind of spoilery for a few books down the line, but. Yeah, it's um, it's hard to talk about these things without getting too into, into details. Which but is yeah. annoying because there are points where I get really excited and want to talk about it. Yeah, um, <laughs> but we, we, we have a, we have some spoiler casts that we've done in the past, so maybe yeah, we'll yeah. do another one of those at some point. That's true. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, so the last the last bit that I, I I really wanted to talk about was the phone call with Morgan, um, which is just so like. I don't know. It's you feel Harry's frustration, you feel Morgan's anger. Um it it has a very like uh noir urban feel of like um you got to you got to do this yourself kid and prove yourself kind of thing. Yeah. You, um mine mine went the opposite direction. Do you know what it reminded me of? Go on. Have you ever had a phone call with a recruitment consultant? I have, yes. And like how they're like, oh, I have a role that you might be interested in, but then they ask you what it is you do or what it is you are interested <laughs> in. But then as you're explain, like, for example, in your case, you go, oh, yeah, like, I've, I've had like five, exper- five, five years experience as a copywriter. And they're like, oh, yeah, then you'll love this role because it's about law and and copywriting materials, you know, and, and you're like, no, no, not that. And then they just won't let you get a word in. Yes. Yeah, like it, it reminded me of that, and I think I think that's why I got really angry with that phone call part in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, I definitely. And the the other thing that um I thought was really interesting, and and we kind of missed this a little bit on the recap, was that um Morgan says that there is that someone he personally cared about died at Archangel, um, which I'm not sure if we really address it is really addressed at any other point. No, um, I'm just trying to think. I mean, not off the top of my head, I know that he has a close relationship with oh jesus what's her name anastasia uh, lucio lucio yeah yeah but i mean outside of that i can't remember if there's anyone that he deemed close yeah so we'll have to Unless, see I, I don't think he was talking about um oh what's the guy's name the one that the senior council member that passed. I don't think he was talking about yeah. him. It must have been a warden. I'm going to go with just the warden. I yeah. Makes the most Maybe sense. it's someone that either he trained or had a romantic relationship with. Um, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to keep an eye out to see if anything else gets said around that. But from my memory, I don't think there was anyone that, yeah. that Morgan is connected to or that we're ever told about. Um, the the bit that really got me was when he, he's saying to Dresden like oh yeah it's always all about what's going on with you like <laughs> no one ever must ask uh, Morgan how he's doing <laughs> and, and Dresden's like no there's going to be a war that's going to kill everyone and he's like there's always going to be a war that kills everyone when it comes to you Dresden <laughs> All right, Morgan. <laughs> Pipe down. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just very well done, and I w- I would love to see it done. Uh, if they if they ever get round to like an, another Dresden Files series, films, whatever, I'd love to see that scene. I think that'd be very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I I always picture uh, Morgan to be. Um, Idris Elba as he is with like Heimdall. Yeah, I can roll with that. But more strict, I guess. Um, and I can just imagine him being like that to like a. I I, I still struggle to picture who I'd want as Dresden. Um, my my current flavor of the month is David Tennant as he is now. Um, I think I quite enjoy. Um, yeah, David Tennant, I, Dresden. My thing is that everyone I think of that, like I think would work, are probably now too old for the role. Yeah, it it, it is a problem, um, especially when like you'd need them to do a lot of films. Yeah, like I mean, my initial one was uh, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, because be all right. everything I've seen him in is great. And also, like, just, just take him how he is and justify and give him a massive stick, you know? Yeah, I can Basically see that. Basically already there. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, I think it needs to be someone that's kind of up and coming. Really. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. But I don't know. Um, Timothy Oliphant kind of fits that, I suppose. 
Um, yeah, so I think that that's that's pretty much everything I wanted to to cover. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover, Rob? Um, not really. I think we've hit everything. No, no, I can't think of anything else to mention really at the moment. There's there's probably a bit more to discuss around Elaine, but that kind of continues into the next couple of chapters. Yeah. Um. So I, I want to kind of hold that one back a little. Um. All right. Okay. Um. So that's uh that's pretty much it for for summer night this week. Um. Next week we get into something me and Rob have wanted to discuss since the start of the podcast, which is the mothers of winter and summer, two of the most interesting characters that have huge impact on the series. Um, I think it's fair to say on yep. you, Rob. Yep, definitely. Uh, and uh, it's their first appearance next week. So that's going to be massive. Um, yeah. Do you want to take us out, Rob? Yeah. Um, as always, thank you for the support. We have crossed 4,100 downloads, which is double where we were at a few months ago. <laughs> yeah. A thousand more than where we were a month ago. I don't know. Um, any case, it's, it's great news. And again, we didn't expect yeah. any of this. It's getting, it's, it is, it is pretty crazy. We're getting like, uh, whew, um, I mean, there there isn't a day that goes by now where we don't get like ten to twenty listeners downloading our our episodes, which is amazing and something that me and Rob never thought would happen. Um, with that in mind, like we're we're starting to see that there is a real like um, demand for our content, which is mm-hmm. a great position to be in as content creators. So that's. Uh, we're definitely starting to have more discussions around what we can do there um, just to keep everyone in the loop. And that's, that's really where we're at. Freaky, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, as always, share, follow and subscribe, uh, hit us up on the social medias, Facebook, the Twitters, all that shit. Drop us an email if you want. That's always an option as well. Um, Next week we'll be covering chapters 25, 26, 27 and 28 of Summer Night! <laughs> I can't do it high enough. It feels like I'm about to like vomit every time I try and do that. <laughs> Summer Night! <laughs> but yeah, um, as always, crack open a can of Coke, because you've been listening to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Rob Davis, and me, Patrick Lund. And we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye.